God who, who speaks. He is the God who speaks. He spoke all things into creation. He's one who faithfully continued to speak throughout history and have his words written down. The scripture is the breath of God breathed out words of God, and he speaks, and he calls us into relationship with him as we think about him speaking. And we also think that he, about that he calls us to be those who speak. We're called to be in relationship. We're called to speak. We're called to pray out to him and, and to come before him with words of truth. And Psalms are all full of speaking to God. And sometimes they're words that we don't even know that we need to speak to him, and we read them, and we're like, that is my heart cry And I cry that out to you. And if you're ever struggling with God, read the Psalms, pray them back to him and speak. And I love walking through the Psalms. So it's exciting to be in here. Psalm 25, I intended to do this all in one week. But as I got further and further into it, I realized I'm not going to get through this all, all in one week. And one of the things it talks about in the Psalm is to wait upon the Lord. And I was like, man, I can't rush through a Psalm about waiting. But we're such rushing people. May we wait on him. Also, as, as I, let me, t- my watch keeps doing stuff, so let me stop that. That'll be annoying the whole time. So, All right. All right. That's, hopefully that's done there. So, well, um, I was reminded this week, uh, the first time that I went backpacking, like backpacking in where you backpack in and you camp, and you go out. And it was in college, some buddies that decided we should go backpacking. And I went to school in, in Missouri, in the southwest corner of Missouri, in the Ozarks. And we took a trip to Arkansas, because so we, we got even deeper into the Ozarks, and went to the Arkansas. And, and my friend um, had recently purchased a, a GPS device thingy. I don't know what they're called anymore because we just use our, they're called phones now, but you had to buy a little, you know, a little thing that would, GPS could take you around. And so we were going to use that GPS and it was going to find us the perfect campsite. And then we were going to hike back out to the, the parking lot and, and it was going to be a good time. So we, we hiked in and it was enjoyable. We followed that GPS. We found our campsite and and we set up camp, and I'm sure we slept horribly because that's what you do when you go camping, right? <laughs> Most of the time, anyways. I, I feel that way. We, and then we packed up, and we like, okay, GPS, what's the best trail out? And we used that GPS to get us out, and we hiked out, and we got to the parking lot, and it was the wrong parking lot. <laughs> and it's a disappointing when you hike all day, and you end up in the wrong parking lot. Well, the Lord worked it all out, and we got back to our car after a long ordeal, but um, I realized that I, I wasn't going to trust one of those GPS machines, like, especially if you just bought it as well. But there, we, it's important who we um, allow guide us and lead us, uh, not just in hiking. I mean, it's life or death, really, in hiking, so it's important. Um, but throughout our life as well, we, we need to know who is guiding us, who is leading us? Who are we allowing to take the lead to lead us in our life? And there's a lot of things that are vying for leadership and to guide and direct us, and there are a lot of them are just like that GPS. It'll, it'll take you to the wrong parking lot in the end, <laughs> and it, there will not be someone nice enough to take you back. It'll be done. We need the leadership of our God, and here in this psalm, 
if you have ESV, even the title is Teach Me Your Paths. Uh, it calls, there's a call to make your way known. Make God make your way known to me. God, teach me your paths. Lead me. And we need to be led. Uh, and we have a God who desires to lead us. And he's given us his word to do just that. So these are good things. And in this psalm, there is prayer to God. So we're going to see really three different types of prayer. And today, we're going to get through just really through verse 7. And well, we're going to touch on a couple others. But uh, we're getting, getting partway through this. But it begins with this personal cry to God. There's this personal cry to God whom we can trust and whom David trusted and found his hope in. A personal cry to our God that we can trust. And this is a psalm of David, if, it, if you notice, it is of David there. King David. It's a psalm of David, most likely that he wrote. Um, some of these might be psalms that were wrote, written for David, but most of them, I think, are those that David himself wrote. And he writes this, and he cries out to God. And he cries out, oh, Lord. And this, in your, trans, in your Bible, is probably capital L-O-R-D, which is referring to the personal name of God, of Yahweh. Or if you have a King James, it's Jehovah. So he's crying out, oh, God, our God. Oh, Lord, the one who's given us your personal name, who wants to know us and entered into relationship with us as a nation, as a people. And he says, oh, Lord, I lift up my soul. He lifts up his all to God, my God. He doesn't, again, he doesn't say to a God or that God over there, but my God. Not an impersonal prayer that he lifts up his soul to, his life to, his all to. There's this strong prayer to the one true God, his God, in whom he places his trust. And even in the psalm we see that as we've read through it, and there's points of it where we sense that there, there's a weight of the world pressing in on David as he's walking through trials of suffering. And specifically, we see even in these first few verses that there's enemies that are attacking, that are pressing in. And he says, Lord, don't allow them to overtake me. And he prays to God as he wrestles with God as enemies press in. There's an overwhelming sense here. And he, he just prays, even those that are wantonly treacherous. Um, as I first read that, I was reading it, wantonly treacherous. And this is not about an Asian soup, but he's talking about that of uh, a treachery that's without cause, unjust. Things that are coming against him, overwhelming him, oppressing David. And he prays that they won't succeed. And ultimately, he knows that they're not going to succeed because my God is the Lord. And he knows that, but he still prays, Lord, may I not be disgraced. May I not be shamed or disgraced because I've trusted in you, because I have waited on you. And we see, see that as we look in to the psalm, indeed none. And even, even there's a sense where he's like, he speaks truth back to his heart. He's wrestling with these things and he says, indeed, I know these things to be true. And he speaks back to himself, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And there's waiting. And we see three times in this psalm, this waiting on the Lord. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. He said that he knows they won't be disgraced. There will be victory in the end, ultimately. They won't be ashamed. And he speaks 
this truth to himself. There's a struggling, though, in the moment. We feel wrestling and tension in his struggling, especially as we get into some more of it next week. As we get into the, the second half, we feel this wrestling, this tense, tension, this struggling. But he knows that in the end, he will not be disgraced. He will not be put to shame. It made me think of verse in, in Romans 5, 3 through 5, that speaks about these things as Paul wrote. And he said, Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So even in the sufferings and the trials that come, we can rejoice knowing that that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And then he says, and hope does not put us to shame. That means it will not dis- we will not be disgraced. This hope will hold out to the end because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And as we learn in Ephesians, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's given him to him. He's graciously, lavishly poured out grace. And then we see here love upon us. It won't disappoint. And that's what David's speaking of. As I put my trust in you and wait upon you and hope in you, I know I won't be put to shame. But he's still wrestling, though, in the moment. Sometimes we need to speak truth. It's like that song, Jesus is better. Help my heart believe. Help my heart believe you hear this in this. And then verses 4 through 5, we have this patient prayer to God to lead, to lead us in his ways and teach us. Teach us his truth. Teach us truth. Let me read those verses. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. So he sees his deep need in the midst of walking through this trial and difficulty and suffering. He sees his need. He needs direction from the Lord. He needs the Lord to teach him, to guide him. He can't do this thing on his own. He needs the path of the Lord to be shown to him. So he prays to be taught, to be led. And who's the one that that needs to teach him? It's the one true God. It's only God who can teach him in the ways to lead him, to teach him, to guide him. The path that's set out by God, who's the author of all things and the source of all truth. So, of course, he needs God to lead him, to teach him, to guide him. And that's what we need. It says God, who is his salvation, who is our salvation. And his word is good. Recently, in just my, my reading time in scripture, uh, my reading plan takes me to the Psalms every day. And I'm in Psalm 119. That just speaks about all the just these amazing things about who God is. Let me just read some of those things. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide me, hide not your commandments from me. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. My delight, he says. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Just give me life. 
from your word. Lead me, teach me, guide me. One more. Verse 36, incline my hearts to your testimony and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way. So you see just other ways of speaking about God. Teach me, lead me, guide me in your path, in your way. Again, there's so many things that vie for, hey, go. this is the right path, or this is the new path, or this is the right truth. No, no, no. Found here. He is the author of truth. We can go to his word, and he teaches us. We need him. And then he concludes, well, then, I know this is true, and I'll wait for God all day long. I'll wait for God. And he waits. Uh, as he waits, he's, he's resting in God. And maybe in your translation, in the NIV, you know, it says, my hope is in you all day long. This word of waiting, it carries that idea of waiting, of hoping. It's not just kind of a twiddling your thumbs waiting, but waiting and hope and resting in the Lord. So there's a call to stop, uh, to rest upon the Lord, to hope in Him. Wait on the Lord. We just need to even, sometimes we just need to even take a deep breath <laughs> and wait upon Him. A couple weeks back, we were talking about prayer from Ephesians, and it was an emphasis on that Paul places on prayer to, to pray at all times in all circumstances, with all, all types of prayer for all the saints. Remember the all y'alls of prayer. And, and I mentioned that in our culture, um, we hold high the virtues of, of busyness, productivity, and tangible output. And I, I wish I could say this is just high standards of the world, but I think often, unfortunately, in a lot of different ways that I don't think are helpful in, in evangelicalism in America, there's um, a, a high value of busyness and tangible output and productivity in such a way that I think is not helpful, um, that pulls us away from prayer, that prayer that pulls us away from waiting upon the Lord and His grace Instead, just makes you feel guilty all the time. And waiting, waiting doesn't fit in with the priorities of busyness, productivity, and tangible output. It doesn't, it doesn't get with the, the get, get after it. Um, sometimes we're called to wait. But we hate waiting. We don't like to wait. We don't like to be still. We don't like to be sick. We don't like to be silent. We don't even like, we like constant noise in the background just to remove any of that so we can feel busy all the time. But we need to wait. I don't like waiting. Just, I was two weeks ago, um, the mission team was here. They're helping us out and they had a barbecue for us. And, and we um, had some stuff to take back to Sam's before because we had to run and buy some, take some things back. And I think it was then, or maybe it was for something else. But we had to go to Sam's and take some stuff back. We were in a little bit of a hurry. And Sam's is like the worst place to go to customer service. Because at Sam's, there's just one person there. It's horrible. Because you can go to Sam's and say, hey, can you tell me all about your membership plans? And then it could be like a 20-minute experience while you're waiting. You're like, oh, my goodness. And that was kind of a little bit. I think you can also like do all your credit card stuff because if you don't like online stuff. So, so you never know when you get at Sam's and the customer. Just, I'm just warning you. <laughs> and there were like three people in front of us, and we were waiting, and we were waiting. But then... Out of the corner of my eye, in one of the TVs, 
I saw Bob Ross on TV, and he was painting. And you know Bob Ross, the PBS? He's passed away several years ago, but he paints. And I remember as a kid watching him and seeing those little happy trees pop up. So I was like, I just need to watch Bob Ross and breathe. And it, was, it, was, it became a peaceful experience. But we're just not good at waiting. I think, think if I'm ever um, um, a, a, a lawmaker uh, in the government, we should mandate Bob Ross. If there's going to be a line more than 10 minutes line, Bob Ross has got to be near you. We're just not good at that. Like even, even just the pace of Bob Ross. I bet a lot of kids are like, I can't watch him. You know, I got to sit and watch this guy for 20 minutes with no breaks in between. You know, it's got to be every three seconds, a change of screen. But we just not, we just don't wait. We don't breathe. We don't stop. You just think, be busier, be busier, get after it more. Uh, about a month ago, well, there's a book that I read um, every couple years. Um, it's called Replenish. It's by a pastor named Lance Witt. Very helpful book for, for pastors. But he wrote this in this one of these chapters. This is, he said, in Africa, when white men began showing up, the Swahili invented a, a unique descriptive word, manzungu. I'm, saying, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, so forgive me if you know Swahili. Ma, ma, mazungu, which means one who spins around. That's what he called the white guy, one who spins around. Because there's a lot, and there's a lot of manzungu ministry leaders in our generation. They are, there's a flurry of activity. But here's the problem. Busyness will not, would not only distract, it will infect. Your busyness will damage your soul. Over time, you will develop a hurried spirit. And when your body is still, your soul will be racing. Your busy spirit will constantly remind you of everything you need to, that needs to be done. And at times, you'll feel like your, your insides are racing. Does anyone know that feeling? That's what our culture says, and sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes even the church we say that. But this is what God says, Psalm 46.10. He says, and this is, again, from, from Lance um, Witt. It not only has eight words, 24 letters, but it stands as an indictment to modern ministry. He says, be still and know that I am God. And then he says, to look at many pastors or ministry leaders, you would think the verse said, be busy and know that you are productive. Work hard and know that your ministry is successful. But we, we, we can feel that even in our own personal lives. You don't have to be a pastor to understand that. It says, this verse is more about my connection to God than my work for God. It's about our connection with him. We need to live life with God. Our God. And there's one other quote by another pastor, Pastor Zach Eswine, who um, wrote a book called The Imperfect Pastor. And there's a chapter about beholding our God. And he just starts it out this way. Quiet with God in the presence of our aloneness, we grow in solitude of heart. Quiet with, with God in the presence of people, we offer a hospitable welcome. Quiet with God in the presence of our circumstances, we offer everyone a chance at wisdom. Can we wait upon the Lord? Can we be quiet with the Lord? Rest in him and know his grace is enough. His grace through Jesus is enough. And then verses 6 through 7, and then verses 11 and 18 as well, we have this penitent prayer that leans into the character of God. This penitent prayer that leans 
into the character of our God. He says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So we have this penitent prayer, this confession that we see that David, he's not just struggling with his enemies, but he's wrestling also with his own sin, things of the past and probably current things as well, and he wrestles. And in light of David's confession of his sins, he asks God, remember your mercy. Remember your steadfast love, the love of the Lord, the love and the mercy, the characters of God that have been part of him from, from of old, from eternity past. He says, remember those things. Remember your goodness. Remember your grace. Remember your, your loving character. Oh, God, remember not my sins. Remember your grace, your character, not my sins. And remember me, remember me according, not to, according to my sins, he said, but remember me according to your steadfast love. According to who you are, there's just a lane before the, the Lord recognizing that, that he is not enough in himself. He never would, will be, Lord, remember me, not according to how much I've gotten done today. Remember me according to your mercy and your steadfast love. Don't send me away. Forget my sins. Forgive my sins. Remember me in light of your mercy steadfast love. Think of Psalms 103, 11 through 14. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Again, he leads on the, these two characters of who God is, mercy and steadfast love. And this mercy, one commentary pointed out that it's related to the noun in Hebrew, rahem, which means womb. So mother's womb, there's a sense, as commentator said, the feeling of a mother to, toward a child is in view here. Compassion and mercy, it's a, it's a bond it is a bond of a mother's love that the psalmist appeals rather than just to a general idea of compassion. So this tender love of a mom to a child, this mercy of our God, he calls upon God's compassion and his mercy. And if you remember, too, that steadfast love, when we walk through Esther, we talk a lot about steadfast love. And remember, there's this one word in Hebrew, hesed. Uh, it's a word that we don't have in English, and if you've ever studied another language, you recognize there's words that, that, that have a sense and a feeling and a, a full meaning that other words in your own heart language might not have, and hesed is one of those. And uh, we looked to a definition back when we walked through Ruth about, um, uh, or it was in the book by Paul Miller from The Loving Life, and we still have a copy back there, I think, and some of you guys have had them, and and read them, but there was a definition that we kind of pulled out for that hesed, that steadfast love. Let me read that again. A word unique in Hebrew that combines love and loyalty. Sometimes hesed is translated steadfast love, as we see here, that steadfast love. It combines commitment with sacrifice. Hesed is it's a one-way love. 
A love without an exit strategy. I love that. It's love without an exit strategy. And it's, oh, there, I lost my place. There it is. When you live with Hesed love, you bind yourself to the object of your love no matter what the response is. That's, that's true love. Your response to the other person is entirely independent of how that person has treated you. Hesed is a stubborn love. He says, God, remember your stubborn love. Don't remember my sins. Oh, God, please. Remember your mercy. So David also, he doesn't ask God, remember my good deeds from last night or the day before, the month before. Remember my righteousness. No, he doesn't look to his own character or his own deeds. He he doesn't look inward for assurance, but he looks to the attributes and the character of our God. He looks to that hesed love and the goodness, the mercy, the compassion of a a mom who loves a child. And he says, remember that. And that's where his assurance is. And when we look for assurance of our salvation by looking inward, we're just going to end up seeing our sin. But instead, we're, we're called to look to Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And we're reminded that we are his and that we are forgiven. We're called to, to look to Jesus. Think of Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm not making this up. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us, for him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God, we're reminded that Jesus Christ is the one who, who lived that perfect life that we could not. He had perfect, steadfast love for us and mercy, and it's displayed perfectly on the cross when he died for us, for our sins, in our place, taking upon that guilt, those sins of the past and those current sins. And then he did not stay on the cross or the grave, but rose again, and we look to Jesus and be reminded that our sins are taken care of as we rest in him and we turn to him. And we can then, indeed, we can rest and hope in our God and not in ourselves. And then verse 11 as well speaks about this same prayer, this penitent prayer. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He cries and asks for forgiveness, and he knows the extent of his sin. And he prays for pardon and for forgiveness to be removed. And you just sense the weight. It's great. And you think of David, the sins of David, or that of, he had that of betrayal, of adultery, of even murder. And he cries out to God that his steadfast love would be poured out upon him. And as we grow, I think, in our walk with Jesus, and as we grow, and we also grow and we see more of our sin, both of past and current, and we recognize, oh my goodness, I need Jesus. Uh, this past week at our house, we, we had a tragedy. Uh, um, we did. I, I don't know if Anthony knows what I'm talking about, or Kelly might, I don't know. But to me, it was, it was pretty tragic. Um, so in front of our house, we have a little uh, goldfish pond with fish that we've had for about three years. So they're precious to us. For goldfish for three years is pretty good. 
We have this little, it's a little pond. I mean, like, little. No bigger than the, than the table here. Probably smaller. Um, but uh, we had left some, a whole brand new this year goldfish container of goldfish food. And someone in our neighborhood um, decided it would be good just to put all of it in there. I'm sure they were trying to help. I'm sure it was one of the kiddos in our, in our, in our neighborhood. But they dumped the whole thing in our fish pond. And, and so they're like, what, that's going to kill our fish. I don't know what that'll do. I don't know. It's like all over the place. And just, it's like, that's, we got to clean out this stupid thing. So I think it was last Sunday, maybe. We were like, oh, goodness, Sunday evening, we, we started cleaning out our pond. And so we pulled out all the gunk and the yuck. And I thought, man, I, I, last time we cleaned it out, I didn't have a pressure washer. I have a pressure washer now, which I love. It's, even it's a tiny one, but I love it. So I'm like, well, let's pressure wash this thing. It's a chance to use it. So I start pressure washing this, this pond. And, and I hit one of our, around the ponds, there are these, um, what are they called, flagstone rocks? Is that right? Anyway, um, and I hit one of them, just a corner of it. And it went from kind of a dark brown, well, maybe even a black, to like this nice colored brown. I was like, oh, 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 my goodness. It just hit like a nick of it. I'm like, I've got a lot of work here. <laughs> I don't know, I have to just clean this pond. I've got all of these rocks around here that I didn't even know were dark. I didn't even know they were dirty. And I just had to go to town and work on those. And um, we still have work to do. It's not done. Um, but I was thinking of that. Just that, just that little spot of cleaning that corner recognized, oh, there's so much work to do. And so that's when the grace of God pours about upon us, we recognize, oh, there's some work to do in my heart, my life. But the good thing is, is that his grace is sufficient. We don't have to say, oh, God, look at my good deeds this week, that maybe it'll cover some of that yuckiness. No, God, your mercy, your compassion, your steadfast love so clearly seen in Jesus Christ, remove my sin and my guilt. Later in Psalm, he says, consider my affliction, in, in verse 18, my trouble, and forgive all my sin. We have this promise in in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9, you may know it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can, he's ready and willing um, to power wash all of that gunk that we need washed away. And he is sufficient. So just a few verses in. It's a good psalm. Now you can see why I didn't want to rush through it. Just take our time. Sometimes we just need to sit back and wait upon the Lord, knowing that our hope is in Him, not in our busyness, not in just doing, doing more, but resting on His character, not crying out to Him to look at how we did this or that. But God, remember me according to your steadfast love and guide me and lead me and I guarantee he's not going to be like my friend's GPS it's going to take you to the wrong part he's the author of life he's the one who says these are good things that you may flourish walk in them hope in them wait upon me be still and know that I am God let's pray Father God, we we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you are a God who speaks. You didn't leave us without your word. You call us to cry out to you. We don't have to show you all the good stuff we've done because they all fall short, but we can just remind you of who you are and find rest in you. It would help us to be a, be a people who are not just the busy people spinning about, but who can stop, who can rest, who can speak to one another about who you are and what you're doing, who can be still enough to, to show your grace and your mercy to others around us in the way we walk and the way we live and the places that you put us, Lord. So 